How's everyone doing? Giving well? Brilliant. So what do I have to do then? <laughs> You're enjoying this, aren't you? I don't mean just the sermons. I mean going through this experience. You're tasting the elixir of Dhamma. And it's like bathing and jumping into a pool of cool water on a hot sunny day. You know that feeling? I haven't had that in a while. <laughs> you should know the feeling. It's very soothing, isn't it? Very relaxing and rejuvenating. That's the word. Are you feeling that? This is the Dhamma healing you. That's what it is. It's that soothing balm over the wounds of Ragadvesha and Moha. That's what you feel. Because it heals, it cures. And that is what makes you want to keep going. You feel fresh mentally. Even when you are dead tired and exhausted, exasperated still, you feel freshened up. Like when they give you a hot towel, when you walk into a hotel or catch a flight, the air hostess, they come and give you a hot, nice hot towel to wipe your face with. And that refreshing feeling you get, that's what you feel. So good, I'm, I'm very pleased for you. This is exactly what we've come here for. This is what the sasana is for. Just like you watch TV, or you used to, I don't know. I will say both, you take whichever one works for you. Just like when you watch TV, after a long day's work, and that was your solace, it was your opportunity to relieve yourself. But this is unparalleled. This is not like that, but you use it for that, for the same purpose. All your stresses and strains and distress and worry and fear, you must experience now that they are being washed away. Then the Dhamma is working for you. So never ask me, is the Dhamma working for me? The answer is always with you. Raga ke dvesha ke moha ke nibbana. How else can I explain to you whether the Dhamma is working for you? If that is happening within you, then yes, the Dhamma is working for you. You are the, you are the judge, not me. Even feelings like guilt, if you feel that they are being washed away and you are, the burden that lay on your shoulders is being lightened day by day, then the Dhamma is working for you. So I'm very pleased that you're all experiencing the delight of Dhamma. Right, so let's begin then. Let's bring our palms together in veneration of he who is unparalleled in virtue, boundless in compassion, and limitless in wisdom. It is none other than our father, our master, our guide that I speak of. He is the omniscient one the unvanquished one, the undefeated one. He who is like no other, and there are no others like him.
The Supreme Buddha is who we speak of, and to his name we make this veneration. And as we do so, let us also remind ourselves that this is a pledge of allegiance that we take to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, as these are our only refuge on the path to liberation, to the ultimate bliss of Nibbana. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Yato Yato Samma Sati Kandanang Udayabhyam Labati Piti Pamojja Amatang Tang Vijanata One who reflects, this is what sati is, reflection. One who reflects, reflects on what? Kandanang udayabhyam. Kanda. Kandanang udayabhyam. Udayabhyam. In other words, this is the rise and fall. Now, as you have been listening to these talks, sometime, you understand that this is not an entity that rises and falls. Yeah? If you recall, when we were beginning this, this, this series, at the, at the start of these talks, going back sometime, talking about the rising and falling of a chitta, you would have thought that this is a chitta that arises and passes away. So there's an entity of a chitta. But now you understand that the, even the chitta is not a fixed entity. This is just an energy. It's like a pulse of energy. But chittas are not the only khandas. There are other khandas. Khanda meaning aggregates. You know that there are the five khandas. Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. These are the five aggregates. These five aggregates encompasses the entire world, the cosmos, the universe, anything and everything you know you can categorize into these five groups. So there is nothing that doesn't fit into any one of these five. So once you've considered all five of this, everything is accounted for. They all rise and fall, is what the Dhammapada stanza say. So at least that is what how you would interpret that. The rise and fall of the skandhas. What matters is, do you understand what is meant by this rising and falling? of skandhas. And how then the reflection of that helps you to enjoy or experience a joy and a delight. And as the Buddha says, it is ambrosia to those who understand this. So in other words, there is no joy like this. There is no other joy. How can a mere reflection of the rise and fall of the skandhas deliver a joy and a delight that is unparalleled? I mean, this question should come in the minds and thoughts of the practitioners of the Dhamma. How can the mere reflection of the rise and fall of the skandhas 
or khandas or the aggregates bring you a joy and a delight that is like no other. And in the Buddha's words, like, is this ambrosia? This is the food of the gods. How is that so? Now he's not saying those who watch TV, those who play computer games, those who indulge in sensuality. He's not talking about that. He doesn't say, when he speaks of karma, sensuality. But this is, the sen this is the way that we have learned to enjoy life, isn't it? Things will be a little bit different for you now. But if you reflect on your previous life, can I call it a previous life? This is a different life. Now you're in the Arya Bhumi. Yes, previously you were in the Anarya Bhumi. The ground of the Anaryans. What did you reflect on? Just think about it. Today you're reflecting on the rise and fall of the Skandhas. What did you used to reflect on? Game of Thrones? Breaking Bad? These were the things you used to reflect on. Kopikade? The news? Things you used to reflect on. Even Shakespeare. These are the things you used to reflect on. You used to reflect on them. If you were a kid, you would have watched cartoons. Played on your computer. Gone on Facebook. And while you're on Facebook, you're reflecting. This is also sati. Not samma sati though. <laughs> so we used to reflect on a very different subject before coming across the Buddha's teaching. Right? Reflect on that for a second. What did you use to reflect on in the name of happiness, for the purpose of happiness, in your pursuit of happiness, and you wonder, why was it that I was never content? Although it was hyped up to be so, wasn't it? You know, when people sell you sensuality, when people sell you sights and sounds, why do I say sell you? You buy them. Nothing in the world is, you know, for free. You have to buy it. So you bought your sights, your sounds, your smells, your taste, your touch. Right? When people sell it to you, it's hyped up to be ambrosia. Even ambrosia is hyped up to be ambrosia. See? But it's not so. If that were the case, then the food of the gods should be the source of eternal delight and eternal joy. But it's not. Even the gods, having, after having had some food, they'll still go looking for other forms of enjoyment. That God will be looking for, for his goddess. Honey, I've had my food. <laughs> Where are you? That is after having the food of the gods. So you see, there's no point looking for happiness in, in food, in taste, <laughs> in the smells and the sights and the sounds. But this is what we've been used to. That's why they call us sensual beings. A sensual being is not you, ladies and gentlemen. A sensual being is a state of mind. A state of mind that seeks joy, happiness and delight through indulgence and association of sensuality. This is a sentient being or a sensual being. And that, when you seek it, you create a world around you. And this is the karma world, the sensual world in which you now have the equipment that you need, the tools that you need, the devices that you need, and the environment that you need to continue your pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, this is like a pot that has a hole at the bottom of it. So you can keep on filling it or trying to fill it, but it will never be filled.
Isn't this your story summed up in a few words? How many years of experience do you have to verify this claim? So I'm in answer, my hairs went great trying to prove this. <laughs> you can say. Collectively, how many years of experience do we have to prove the point that sensuality is of no use? It does not fill the human heart. It does not satisfy the human soul. But people have no alternative. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I often think about this, right? Why is it that we are so fortunate? What is it so, merit so meritorious about us? Here's the thing. We found an alternative. Sensuality, rubbing that, what do you call it, rash of lust, is still an option. It is, is it, is it not? It's still an option. You can still do it if you wanted to. I could still do it if I wanted to, but I don't need to. That's the jackpot. You don't need to anymore. Because now you have an alternative. Because now you can reflect on Kanda Nangudeyabya. This is exactly what you need to do in those moments. See, the Buddha gives a Kamatahana. This is a meditation object. This is a karmastan. Kandanangudhyabhya. Hmm, go on there. That's your kamataha. And he says, what happens to those who do that? Because ultimately, it is that you seek, isn't it? Is it not joy and delight that you seek? Why do we do all the things we do? Right from the very first talk that we did. Very first one, many, many, many years ago, not just this series, but the very first talk we did, I started with one thing. What are we all here for? Happiness, absolutely. So the Buddha teaches us, this is how you achieve happiness. That's your karma style. Keep doing that, you'll be happy forever. Do anything else? Sorry. That's not the Buddha's guide to happiness. This is the Buddha's guide to happiness. Yato yato sammasati, kandana gudyadya. Labati piti mamucha. What more do we need? We just now need to master that. That's all. Now that we've heard it, next up is mastering it. Because sunata, dhareta, charata dhammi. It's no good just listening to it. Now you've got to bear it and then practice it. As disciples of the Lord Buddha, this is your task, ladies and gentlemen. First, listen, listen to it, then bear it, and then practice it. When you're listening to it, there comes a point where you begin to bear it. So what do I mean by this? See, one fine day, you go looking for, you know, people are always looking for happiness, right? Because not, they don't find it until they come across the Buddha's teaching. So any random person you pick, you bump into on the street, what are they looking for? What are they looking for? Happiness. Any random person you meet on the street, right, in the bus, in the bus stand, on the bus, in the, on the train, right, at, in a hotel, wherever. If you bump into someone, there's one thing you can be dead certain of, they're looking for something. <laughs> Even if they're at the restaurant eating, you can go and ask them, are you looking for something, sir? No. I think you are. No, I'm not. I think you are, sir. Just stand a few yards away because they might punch you. 
they'll be asking, are you looking for something? <laughs> but we can be dead certain of something. They're looking for happiness. They're looking for Piti Pamoja. That's what they're looking for. But looking for Piti and Pamoja, which is joy and delight, they yato yato sammasati. What they're reflecting on is not the right thing. This is the problem. See, I can talk to you a whole day on just this Dhammapada stanza because it, it contains the entirety of the Buddha Sasana. How you embark on this journey, how you practice this journey, what are the advantages of it, what you get out of it, and how you finish it. All of this is there in just this one stanza. That's why I say this is a karma tahana. This one stanza is enough. All that matters is do you see the profound meaning within it? And that's what we're trying to dig out right now. We're working together. We're using our merits. These are our tools. Right? This is the garden hoe. This is the shovel. We are trying to dig up the profound meaning of this, and we are relying on our combined merit for that. If I'd come prepared with that, then I don't need your merits, thank you very much. But right now, this is what came up, and now we are trying to dig out the profound meaning of this. How do you do the Khandana Ngudayabhya? Because if you do that, reflect on that, that's it. You no longer need to do anything else, nothing else, for joy and delight. After all, this is what we seek in life, joy and delight, how to be happy. When you get stressed at work, what do you need to do? That's it. This is like Kogata <laughs> Taile. Sorry. <laughs> what is the English term for Kogata <laughs> Taile? Panacea. Panacea for everything. Yes, thank you. This is the panacea for everything. The medicine that heals it all. Reflection. When you are stressed at work, here's what you have to do. Now, you often come for these, what we call counseling sessions, yeah, at the monastery. You sit down with the Swami and and you ask questions like, when I'm stressed, when I'm anxious, when I'm distressed, when I'm going through a, a period of grief and agony, what do I do? Simple answer in one word, in, in one line, Kandana. That's it. Because what are, you, what are you looking for? To come out of this. Come out of this and be what? Joyful. Be happy. Be delightful. So the Buddha gives you the instructions. So the Buddha has already done the counseling. <laughs> he said, this is exactly what you need to do. What we need to figure out is how do we do this correctly? How is this done? It's one thing to say it, but it's another to do it. To be able to do it, what do I mean by do it? Reflect on the rising and passing of the skandhas. But we need to do it properly. Because you can, if you think of it like the rising and, and, for, and, and, and uh, the setting of the sun, that is not the kandana Now you're talking about an entity, the rise and fall of an entity. You know, people do that all the time. My cat, she gave birth to a kitten, rising. It lived for three years, and then it got run over, passing away. See, rising and passing away. That is also rising and passing away, <clears throat> but not of the skandhas. These are the risings and passings away of entities. Therefore, you suffer. 
Here's another Dhammapada stanza that you'll find in the same chapter. Sabbaso nama rupasmi. See, the Buddha says, all there is, now he talks about what the skandhas are. These are the skandhas. Nama. Nama and Rupa. Sabbaso nama rupasmi. All, let's take it in that sense, all is nama and rupa. These are the aggregates. In other words, these are the skandhas. Or skanda. In, well, in Pali it's called the khanda. But skanda in Sinhalese. I think it probably is in Sanskrit as well. Just means the aggregates. A body. That's what it is. What are you? A body. It's uh, in physics you'll have learned skanda which is mass, a mass. A mass is a collection of matter, isn't it? That's how we studied. The definition of mass is a collection of matter. A collection, has to be a collection. Collection of Nama and a collection of Rupa. That is all there is. Sabba so, Nama Rupasmi. Sabba is all. All is Nama and Rupa. If this is the skanda, this Udayavya, now connecting two Dhammapada stanzas together and showing you the link between the two of them. So initially I, I, we had Yato Yato Sammasati Khanda Anam Udayavya. On this hand you have Sabbaso Nama Rupasmi Yasanati Mamaitam. <laughs> yeah? Akatachana Sochati Save Bhikkuti Uchati. So he defines who a bhikkhu is. What is a bhikkhu? Who am I? You are a bhikkhu, Swami Nansi, you say. Now you're, now you're talking about a conventional monk. You're looking at me and saying, well, I'm, I've got a robe on me. I've got a bold head, so that must be a monk. No, that is not how the Buddha defines a monk. You see a man in a robe, bold head, right? punching someone in the face. You dare to call that person a bhikkhu? What an insult. Oh, you see a man in a robe and, in a, and a bald head running away with another woman. Not another woman, well, <laughs> running away with a woman. You, you dare to call him a bhikkhu? This is not a bhikkhu. A bhikkhu is a state of mind. See, the Buddha is a scientist of the mind. He always talks about the mind. When he talks about who a Brahmin is, who a Brahmin is, he speaks about the mind. When he speaks of who a Vasala is, he speaks of the mind. When he speaks of who a Bhikkhu is, he speaks of the mind. So this is why I talk about this Dhammaspada stanzas to you, lay people, because it is not about what you have, what you're clad in, or how much hair you have on your heads although some are closer to the state of bhikkhu than others in that regard. So a bhikkhu is a state of mind. And what is that state of mind? Sabbaso nama rupasmi. Khanda nangudeabhya. Nama and rupa. They by their very nature, it is said in the stanza, arise and pass away. 
Even when you think of Nama and Rupa, I don't want you to think of Nama being an entity and Rupa being another entity. If you do that, then you are back to square one. There's no point in doing that. So that's like saying, this is not a pen, but this is a body and a clip. No point in doing that. Because then, now you have a body and you have a clip. Or a cap. Then you say, well, the cap is also not a cap, but it's a collection of the, 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 ca the whatever this part is here, and, the, and this part. These two parts together is the cap. Then once again, you've, all you've done is you've segmented something. And now you have the component parts, which are entities, right? That, there's no point in doing that. So therefore, like when, even when you reflect on the body, there's no point in thinking that the body is the hair, you know, the, the skin, the, the, the teeth, the bones, the blood, the vessels, the muscles, right? There's no point in thinking of those as being entities and those entities form up this, this body that is the human body. There's no point in thinking that. You've not done the sabbaso nama rupasmi. That's like saying this is not a bouquet of flowers, it's just, it's just, you know, several flowers together. Now you still have the flowers. It's just the bouquet is not there. That's not what we're talking about. You cannot be seeing entities, whether in the big things, the macro things or the micro things. You can't be seeing entities. You can't be perceiving entities. If you can elevate your mind, you elevate your thinking, qualify your thinking to a point where all you can see are the rising and passing away. See, here's the most important point here, ladies and gentlemen. When we talk about risings and passings away, we are not talking about the risings and passing away of entities. It's anicca the Buddha speaks of here. At any point in this cycle, let me circle a few points. Right, so this is a nama, okay? Just one nama. <clears throat> At any point in this cycle, if you feel like, let's give them a, some stages, so this is st uh, one, stage two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, eleven, twelve. Sorry, I know you can't see the numbers from where you're sat down, but trust me, this is one to fifteen. Okay? If you feel, if you perceive that this number five was number one four, stages, four steps ago, you've missed the plot. It's five now, it was one. Now you miss, you've missed the plot. That's, that's not the point I'm trying to get across to you. Because then you still have an entity. You're talking about the journey of an entity. That's like saying, my kitten was born and now it's dead. It lived a happy life. You missed the point. At each point, this is a pachupanna point. Whatever is available in any individual point is present because of its own merits. Now here by merits I don't mean the ping pow. By merits I mean the causes that support it, that's all, in that sense. Forget Buddhism for a second. Now think merits, those merits. It stands on its own merits, it stands on its own two legs. So this is not the story of what entered this, this process. It is not this that has now ended here. Although when I speak of this, you will have that, that impression. This is the one entity that's going through this. This is a Nama, this is a Rupa. Either of these go through this process. 
Come out of that thinking. Try to come out of that thinking. To come out of that thinking is what you need to try to understand when we speak of kanda nangudebya. What is this kanda? How does it rise and pass? How does it rise and fall? If there are no entities to rise and fall, then what's going on here is a question you need to be asking. Yasenati mamaita. See here, we, the, the Buddha says mama, and immediately what we think of is I. Yeah? But mama is also a name for separation. Mama is a name for separation. It's a noun that means separation. In other words, this entification. Entification? Entification? You get the idea. What we are trying to work out is how do we be happy? That's it. Simple as that. Because we've tried every other trick in the book and it doesn't seem to work. In the name of sensuality, you've tried everything there is, haven't you? As long as it was on the right side of the law, you probably tried that. And then there are others who've tried things on the other side of the law, the wrong side of the law. You, you know, you've got to understand, why do people commit these things, commit crimes? There's only one reason. It's because they haven't figured this out. So what should the, what should the prison reformation system contain in the education literature? This, because if you don't rehabilitate a prisoner who was imprisoned for committing a, a crime, and that crime was maybe theft, maybe rape, maybe murder, maybe corruption, right? If, you, if they've been tried in a court of law and they have been found guilty, what they have not been tried is in a court of the Dhamma. Because in the court of Dhamma, they're only guilty of one thing. What are they guilty of? Absolutely. They're guilty of ignorance. That is what they're guilty of. Are you guilty of it? We'll find out. If you are guilty of ignorance, ignorance of this. Akatachana Sochiti, see? One who understands this does not fall into a state of grief, does not fall into a state of sorrow, does not fall into a state of unhappiness, discontentment. They don't. They're not disappointed. So when people steal, when people murder, when people commit adultery, what are they looking for? They're looking for respite from the mental state of despair, distress, anguish, anger, whatever they're in. These are all negative emotions. Why? No understanding of the truth. That's why. Because they're ignorant. That is what they're guilty of. Ignorance. Whenever, you've been, when you, whenever you beat yourself up out of guilt, often talk about this because guilt is a big problem for good people. Only good people go through guilt. In the moment you go through guilt, in those moments, even if, you're a, if you've been a murderer, right? In the moment that you regret your actions, at that moment you're a good person. That's why they say goodness is the greatest obstacle to greatness. It is. Because in a moment of goodness, you reflect on your past actions. And you think, should I have done that? That was terrible. How, did, how could I do something like that? See, you're stuck in this eye. <laughs> that is what the Mara does to you. Either good or bad, you are subjects of the Mara. Both good and bad are subjects of the Mara. 
So Mara doesn't necessarily need you to be bad. Being good is also okay with Mara. But being great, that's not okay. Because that's when you surrender citizenship of the sensual world, of the Mara world, the 31 realms of existence. That the Mara is not happy with. Because where he is king, he wants to have his loyal subjects, right? So when you're bad, or rather when you go from bad to good, now Mara puts you into a guilt trap. And you see, you see this, this is what happens. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the theory, try and reflect on whether and how this has manifested in your lives in terms of real-term real actions. Right? Think about this for a second. You know, this, uh, you know people do this thing called comfort eating, right? Indulging in sensuality is sometimes the remedy that people seek for feeling bad about having indulged in sensuality. I'm trying to express to you, but there are some examples that I can't use because of this, the, you know, this is a, a noble setting, so I need to be careful what I say. If you, this was just the monks, I could have spoken freely. But this is going online as well, so I'd be careful. Think about the, aren't there times where you indulge in some act of sensuality and it, it's a real downer on you, right? After the fact, you begin to regret. You think to yourself, I'm so virtuous. I'm such a good person. I, and Guru Hamdra wants me to improve myself. Samina has delivered the Dhamma to me. I have a teacher, right? And I, I'm, I'm trying, I've committed myself to practicing the path. And after all this, why did I do that? Did I let myself down? Did I let my teachers down? Have I let the sasana down? Have I let the monastery down? What about the devotees who've been so kindly and so gracefully looking after me and feeding me and all these things? Have I let them down? You begin to ask yourself, now you've entered the realms of guilt. So here it was, here's what happens. If you don't have support now to come out of guilt, that guilt begins to fester. Like an old wound, it begins to fester. After a while, it, pus starts oozing out of it becomes an infected wound. And now, because you feel terrible about yourself, you need something to bring you out of it. You need some relief. And usually when you need a moment of respite, a moment of relief, the easiest thing to do is to do what again? Go back to sensuality, absolutely. I'll take food as an example. You can reflect on the other examples. Oh, let's take, ah, here's, you know how people binge watch things, TV, binge watching the TV episodes and teledramas and so on? Here's one of the ways in which that happens, right? Let's say you're supposed to be doing some work, maybe work at the office, maybe work uh, your schoolwork, whatever the case might be, you're supposed to be doing some work. But you go online maybe to find some information that you need to be able to complete your work, and then you accidentally click on a video that is not relevant, but you click on it nonetheless, and now you're watching it. Now, you, you, you know, in the back of your mind, you have about like 10 seconds within which, in which you can take yourself back. You can redeem yourself. But after that 10-second window passes, now that's it. So now you're watching this, this, uh, this, this thing that 
it's not part of your your job it's not part of your duty it's not something you need to be watching but now you started watching it and so you just continue watching because you know you need to know how it finishes and it only says what five minutes five minutes you know i've got five minutes of course i have five minutes it only takes five minutes but if you take a sermon like an, a one hour sermon and chop it down to five minutes you now don't you don't have time for that but this five minute maybe a comedy or you know some musical or you know maybe a trailer for upcoming movies you know thing you generally i'm just watching the trailer i'm not watching the film it's just the trailer you know it's not like i'm going to watch the actual film after that so you just watch the trailer five minutes that's all so you know you watch it right so after after a while now you're you've you've been it's like a black hole you've been absorbed into this at the end of the first episode for the first video they have been so masterfully crafted and designed to keep you in it right that's how media works that's how sensuality works at the end of one you need the next one and they design it such that at the end of one they'll say here's the next episode they'll come up with those banners and they'll come up with links and it'll sometimes auto play that's that's how it works now right you don't even have to click next it auto plays so then you go from one video to the next video and maybe say about 15 minutes 20 minutes later you're thinking to yourself why oh, i i shouldn't have been doing this this is terrible i feel bad now right there was a lot of work i had to do my homework is now late uh, the, the report is now late uh, this is not what i should be doing and now you feel really bad about it so this is terrible now because now you feel bad when you feel bad what do you need what you really need is kandana udayabhyam that is what you really need but that guy steps in let me deal with this you know the fellow we talked about this fellow last week let me sort this out so he steps forward or she steps forward and then what he says are you feeling bad i'm feeling terrible right now well don't you remember how to cheer yourself up when you feel bad don't you remember how to cheer yourself up when you feel bad just watch another video that's all you got to do just you know two minutes that's it just two minutes watch another video so you click on the next video in that moment you feel a sense of relief because you have just been taken out of this frustration you're frustrated you're frustrated with yourself with your actions this is guilt but that's why they call it the guilt trap once the trap has been set now there is no coming out of it like a beast caught in a trap right it tries to pull out of it but every time it pulls it 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 hurts the the beast it hurts so therefore to not be hurt any further you have to remain there in other words you if once you're on youtube you have to be on youtube once you're indulging in sensuality you have to remain in sensuality that is the trap guilt keeps you locked in this is why you need to be armed with this knowledge so i take the example of watching something you think about other examples that you have in your life there are some people who come to us and say so i mean as i'm addicted to porn and you ask them puta why are you addicted to porn how did you get fall into this addiction well i watched it once i'm giving it to you as it is ladies and gentlemen they come and say i watched it once after watching it once i felt bad about it now when you feel bad you got to do something to cheer yourself up right you remember though when you watched it you felt good so if you're feeling bad right now 
and there's the promise of joy, the promise of pleasure. You're feeling bad right now and you need a quick fix. Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? Because you have no alternative. That's why I say, for your merits, you have an alternative today. But people don't have an alternative. So bite after bite after bite, mouth after mouth after mouth, video after video after video, because you feel bad, you take a little bit more. Isn't this how drug addiction works? Isn't this the mechanism of drug addiction? You take some drugs, you feel, you feel good for a while, and then you have that time where, the, you, where you drop. Right? It's a real downer. Now you need a pick-me-up. If you need a pick-me-up, you remember, well, the drugs, the drug I took, that was a quick fix. So then you go for the next dose. You take that, you, you're cheered up for a moment, and then you, you're back in the trap again. But remember, because this is sensuality, the same dose cannot make you happy twice. Therefore, you've got to keep on increasing the dose. And that's how, whereas back in the day, young children were happy just watching a bit of cartoon, just watching five minutes of TV as a reward for having done their homework. That's how it used to be in my time. Nowadays, you need to be given a smartphone, you need to be given an internet connection, and you need to be online all the time, always accessible, because it's an addiction. This is how addictions work. It's a trap. And guilt only makes matters worse. But guilt only attacks good people. The guilt doesn't, doesn't, doesn't trap bad people. Bad, by bad people, I mean people who have no remorse, no re regret about what they've done. But when they have regrets about what they have done, guilt blocks them. And there's another way that guilt works. Because you're good, you want to be seen as good. Hmm. This is where ego steps in. You want to be seen as good. Because you want to be seen as good, now you find it very difficult to confess. When that is the best answer. When that is the best answer. I need to confess. If I were to confess, then someone would come to know about it and they would say, no, why did you do that? Don't do that. Stop it. Sometimes they don't even need to do it. You don't need advice back from someone. The, the moment you have confessed that enough, that, that itself is enough, but your guilt traps you. This guilt says you're a good person. If you say this about, if you say what you've just done, they'll think that you are always like that. But you're not always like that, are you? This is just one instance where something went wrong. So you need not go and share this with somebody else. And so therefore, you trap yourself there. This is all Jati doing this. Remember last week we talked about how, how you can expect one chitta to make a decision on behalf of another chitta? Hmm? But this is what ego does. This is why you struggle to confess. I can explain it to you through the lens of Dhamma, through the, through the, the principle of Jati. Why you struggle to confess? Why confessions are so difficult to make? Here's why. This is the moment where you did the bad deed. Right? In that moment you were terrible. Did something bad. Now, you want to confess. The thought has come to your mind, I need to go and confess. I've got to go, I have to go and say what I've done and just, you know, get it off my chest. But, in this moment, you still have ego. This is Jati. So here's what Jati is going to tell you. If you, were to go and, if you were to go and tell someone that you did something like this, they are going to think, because you are thinking like that right now, they are going to think that you're always like this. So say you... Uh, took something that didn't belong to you, okay, or you 
stole something from the kitchen, maybe from the cupboard, maybe from the fridge. You're not supposed to. That was for somebody else. You've taken it. Now you have guilt, and now you want to confess. You want to say, I've done, I've, I've done something wrong. Or maybe you watched something you shouldn't have. Now you want to confess, right? In that moment, ladies and gentlemen, you think to yourself, well, if this was the bad person, but now I'm a good person, this is the bad person, when I, when I share this with somebody, if I go and tell this to my teacher, if I go and tell this to my parents, if I go and confess to my husband, if I go and confess to my wife, they're going to think that I'm always like that. <coughs> Partly true. Because you're, also, you're going to go and tell this to someone who's also written with jati. So they will certainly think, I mean, you're right. But the problem is, you think in terms of jati. You don't know jati is what's going on, but jati is going on. So you feel when you make this confession, they are going to think that you are always like that. Because no khanda This is not your reflection. And so a confession becomes so incredibly difficult. But here's what happens when you cannot get it out of your system. Now it's still there. The next chitta arises. A few chittas later. This now begins to burden you. This begins to bring you worry. This begins to make you feel regret, repentance, right, remorse. And then you think, well, I'm, why did I do something like that? I was a terrible person. I shouldn't have done something like that. So it begins to really burden you. Now you feel, you feel so burdened under, under the weight of all that. Therefore, you're looking for relief. And when you're looking for relief, there's always an easy get out. And that easy get out for when you're, when you're vexing is sensuality. Sensuality is the easiest get out when you're vexing with something. That's why people comfort it. When someone's feeling bad because they've just gone through a breakup, what do people generally do? Meditate. Huh? What do they do? They go and watch. Sometimes they go out to the movies. They go eat, yeah, listen to music. That's what they do. I mean, what is the connection? How are they even related? I'm feeling bad, so I go eat. What? How are they even connected? My girlfriend dumped me, so now I'm going to watch a movie. What? How are they even connected? But this is what people do because they have no alternative. Because they don't know khanda nangudya Right, now let's use khanda nangudya this karmasthana that the Buddha has given us, and see how we, can, how we can actually fix these problems when they come to us. You know, this is your savior, ladies and gentlemen. I'm trying to introduce you to your savior. I'm not your savior. This is your savior. Not all saviors come on a cross. This is also a savior. This is a savior. If you understand this, you can reflect on this. That's why he says, Amatang Tang Vijanatang. Vijanatang is what, to, one he, to one who knows. To one who knows, this is ambrosia. Right, let's take a situation and try, and try and contemplate on it as you ought to reflect upon it when it happens. Let's take the case of something you've done. <clears throat> because now what we are going to look at is that the skandhas in the form of Nama and Rupa. Right? If you do this, there is no socha. Socha is sorrow. 
Akatanjana Sochati. This is a bhikkhu, a state of mind. How do you get to a state of mind where there is no sorrow? Let's take, a, let's take an example, right? Say, um, I'll take a very simple example. Right? Say you've taken something from the fridge. You're not supposed to. Now we all have these examples from when we were younger. Hmm? You don't do that now, do you? Hmm? Still do that. Right? Uh, you, you, you would take, you know, mommy said, no, don't touch it till tomorrow. The guests are arriving tomorrow. This is for tomorrow. You know, like when I used to be a vegetarian. Did I share that story with you? Yeah, don't embarrass me by having to say that again. <laughs> I was a pseudo-vegetarian. <laughs> so, so mother says, don't touch this. This is for the visitors, right? People are coming around tomorrow and then we will eat it. So it's in the fridge. But can you wait? No, because you know it's in the fridge. And it says, come on, get it. <laughs> and mother says, not yet. So you know that it's wrong, but defilements are so strong that they, there's always this, this, these are these impulses, right? Go on, go on, go on, get it. Right, let's see what's going on. So you have a chitta. In this chitta, now, we are in this chitta, and this chitta says, go and get it, it's in the fridge. Let's say some jelly. Just a spoonful. In fact, you know, just take the spoon and scrape the outside. <laughs> you don't need to dip into the actual thing, you know, so that mother will see that you've actually, the spoon's gone in. Just, just scrape the, the outside. So that, you know, and, and it'll look more presentable, won't it? If you scrape the outside, then it's not so bad. Or if they bring a cake, right? You know, maybe the, the board on which you put the cake, you know, just, just get the icing around the corners. Don't touch the cake, just, just the icing around the corners. That's not, that's not so bad, is it? That's how it starts. But what you don't know is you're, you're trying to deal with a devil here. Sensuality is a devil. It doesn't give up. It's a relentless devil. It'll keep at you until it has consumed you entirely. Have you never started eating a, a bit of ice cream and then ended up eating the whole tub? Has that never happened to you? Or thought to yourself, I'll just eat one piece of chocolate because I'm diabetic. Of course I'm not going to eat all the whole, whole bar. Huh? Five minutes later. <laughs> what are you doing now? <laughs> now you're sucking on your fingers. Where's the chocolate? God. Think. See, these are the moments where you need the Dhamma as your refuge. And you are diabetic. Now, there may be those here in the audience who are diabetic and you really struggle with this. You know you're not supposed to add sugar to your tea, but you can't help it. Only because the doctor says you real struggle when you go to make yourself a cup of tea. When people at home they're having their cheesecakes, they're having their puddings, they're having their barbecues, they're having their this and they're having their that. And you go, oh, why was I born into this world? <laughs> you know, if you find yourselves in these situations, ladies and gentlemen, the only reason you're going through this torture is because you're not doing kandana and that's all. Come out of it. To come out of it, sunata dharata charata dhammi, that's it. 
ਦਮੋਹਾਵੇ ਰੱਖ ਦੀ ਦਮਚਾਰੀ ਮੇਕ ਦ ਦਮ ਯੋਰ ਰੈਫਿਊਜ ਰਾਈਟ ਲੈਟਸ ਟੇਕ ਥਿਸ ਐਗਜ਼ਾਮਪਲ ਨਾਊ ਥੇਰ ਇਜ਼ ਜੈਲੀ ਇਨ ਦ ਫ੍ਰਿਜ ਐਂਡ ਯੂ ਆਰ ਟੈਂਪਟਡ ਟੂ ਜਸਟ ਸਕ੍ਰੇਪ ਜਸਟ ਦੀ ਆਊਟਰ ਆਊਟਰ ਰਿਮ ਰਾਈਟ ਸੋ ਯੂ ਵਾਕ ਟੂ ਵਾਕ ਅਪ ਟੂ ਦ ਫ੍ਰਿਜ ਚੈੱਕ ਇਟ ਆਊਟ ਆਫ ਦ ਫ੍ਰਿਜ ਲੁੱਕ ਆਈ ਡਿਸਾਈਡ ਟੂ ਸੀ ਵੇਦਰ ਮਮੀ ਇਜ਼ ਦੇ ਲੁੱਕ ਲਾਈਕ ਨੋ ਵਨਸ ਕਮਿੰਗ ਬਟ ਯੂ ਗੋਟ ਦ ਸਪੂਨ ਇਨ ਯੋਰ ਹੈਂਡ ਨਾਊ ਐਂਡ ਜੈਲੀ ਇਨ ਫਰੰਟ ਆਫ ਯੂ ਸੋ ਇਨ ਥਿਸ ਮੋਮੈਂਟ ਯੂ ਰਿਮੈਂਬਰ ਸਵਾਮੀ ਨਾਨਕ ਸੇ ਯਾ ਰਾਈਟ ਦੈਟਸ ਵਾਈ ਯੂ ਨੀਡ ਦ ਪੀਰੀਅਡ ਥ੍ਰੈਡ ਨਾਊ ਯੂ ਰਿਮੈਂਬਰ ਸਵਾਮੀ ਨਾਨਕ ਸੇ ਸਵਾਮੀ ਨਾਨਕ ਸੇ ਖੰਦਾ ਨਾ ਉਦਾ ਪੈ ਹਾਊ ਐਮ ਆਈ ਗੋਇੰਗ ਟੂ ਡੂ ਇਟ ਵਿਦ ਥਿਸ ਵਿਦ ਥਿਸ ਜੈਲੀ take a moment to reflect first thing to do is tell yourself hey now you know that that the devil that jumps over and says let me let me at it you tell the devil mate hold on you can have it okay you can have it but first let me just do a little bit of contemplation after that you can have it so don't tell it that no you're not going to get it because if that is the case then vexation starts building up so rapidly and then you will you will completely lose sense of what you have to do just tell it you can have it but first let's just have a let's have a chat before you have a go at it right let's at least reflect on what we've learned this last week forget the previous weeks just this last week because that's all i remember anyway <laughs> so so now you start your contemplation khandanam udayabhya right you start asking yourself who am i because it is i who wants the jelly right? what is the problem right now i want to eat jelly yeah this is the problem i want to eat jelly let's try and make sense of this because the buddha says yato yato sammasati khandanam udabhyam labati piti pamojjang what are you trying to do when you by eating this jelly labati piti pamojjang that's what you're trying to do you're trying to achieve delight and joy So if that is your ultimate purpose you should only be doing this if the jelly provides that right if the jelly is not capable of providing that what's the what's the point what's the point of doing it so who here wants to eat jelly really nobody does what do you really want joy happiness that's what we want but we think it comes from the jelly Now if you have practiced this relief vexation attachment you know that cycle and if that is really you know strong and sedimented in your mind then you can use that as well there's nothing wrong with that right it is only out of relief from vexation you experience pleasure and that pleasure is certainly not in the jelly you can contemplate on that that is perfectly fine what i'm trying what i'm about to share with you this is not something you don't know i'm just trying to show you how to apply the, the dhamma that you already know into such that kind of situation what this is going to help you is just to do it a little bit more you know this is a bit more advanced that's all but after you get the hang of this it becomes it becomes second nature you don't have to you don't have to even think about it see when you when you reflect on the previous way of thinking where you thought that the jelly does not bring me pleasure it is only relief from vexation you still thought about a jelly didn't you there was a fixed jelly there and there was still an i there so i want to eat jelly but happiness doesn't come from the jelly so therefore i shouldn't be eating this what i'm giving you is a more potent medicine i mean it's like if that was uh, paracetamol this is like brufen much stronger 
one shot. Now you have the jelly in front of you. Let's take the question, the problem that we have. I I want to eat the jelly. Take this problem and Khandanang Udebya. This is your Kamat Karmastan. Try and reflect on the skandhas. That is your answer. Simple as that. This is the problem. Break it down into the skandhas that this is made of. The reason that you have right now this vexation to eat that is because you're doing not Kandana You're doing Mama. Mamayan. Yes, you're doing Mamayan. In other words, you're separating this. Yes, thank you. You're separating this. This is becoming an in, in some, a part of yourself now. See, of course, you're thinking of yourself and this is, this is an entity. This is also an entity. Eating. Now these are all so this is a sankara, but this all becomes part of something that you do. See, everything on, everything on this board is connected to this I, isn't it? I want. Who does the eating? I eat. The jelly? Well, it's my jelly. So therefore, I want to eat my jelly. When, this, when you begin to sense this, this I, this sense of self, at that point, you have entities and when that becomes an entity the whole world becomes an entity the whole world is composed now of entities the whole world is an entity and within the world everything every object is also an entity now this is mamayana now they become entities that is mamayana the buddha's advice here is don't take it like that because it is not that nama rupa Practice this. Let's see how we can find the Nama Rupa here. What is a jelly? This is a Rupa. So you have Rupa. What about the rest of it? What about eating? This is Nama. What kind of Nama? Sankara. You have I. What is that? What is I after all? It is only a perception. This is a perception that lives in the vijnana. Yeah? So the, when this is, this is, the self only lives in a vijnana. And there is, it lives nowhere else. So that is also ultimately a nama. It is an object of the nama. Your sense of self is an object in your vijnana. It's in the vijnana you perceive the sense of self. You take out vijnana, you're not going to perceive self. Because all perceptions happen through vijnana, right? Okay. So then, the wanting. Wanting is also, this is part of the, this is the namaskanda. Because in the namaskanda, this, this process happens. You, you remember the process, right? Where a karma, uh, what do you call a, a karma seed, a karmic seed comes to fruition. Yeah? And you have the process. Uh, in this case, your tongue is about to come into contact with your, with taste. Right? And then you have uh, contact and you have the consciousness or the chitta. While this process is ongoing, you also have ignorance 
and attachment. That, because of, you have the pleasant, you have this idea that this, this is going to give you a pleasant feeling, right? And that is all part of this ignorance, yeah? And as a result of that, you are now attached to it and you have jati, which is separation. So all of this goes on in the mind and these all affect the nama. It affects the mind. It doesn't affect the rupa. Nothing to do with the rupa. See, once you start now analyzing this problem that has come into your mind through the lens of nama and rupa, this is skandana mudyabda. You're breaking things down into this nama and the rupa. And you're reflecting on the fact that this nama and rupa are merely manifestations. Because if you can actually see things as real nama and rupa, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot not see them as manifestations. Because what is nama after all? It's a manifestation. If you have seen nama, if you have really understood and comprehended nama, along with that you have comprehended that nama is a manifestation. You can't not understand that it's a manifestation but understand that it's Nama, in which case you have not really understood what Nama is. Because understanding of Nama is avidya pacha, tanha pacha, karma pacha, oh, avidya samudaya, tanha samudaya, karma samudaya, ahara samudaya, osparsha samudaya, and nibbatilakkana. These are the causes that bring about Nama. By Nama, I mean Vedana, Sanya, Sankhara, and Vinyana, all four of these. Have you seen men working on stilts? They do it in... Uh, what way do they do it? Parades and so on. Yeah. So you have a man. They wear long trousers, so you don't see that it's his leg is tied to a stilt. But he has these long stilts, doesn't he? And he stood on this. Yeah, something like that. See, it is these two stilts that keep him up. Yeah. So there is no way that he can be up without the stilts. So the stills from yesterday is not keeping him up today. If it's there now, he's up now. In the same manner, there are stills that keep the Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana up. By up, I don't mean up in the air, I mean alive, up. Those stills are what the Buddha see, says, if you see them, you have seen Anicca. Now, when I use the word see, I mean it in a very specific sense. By seeing, what I mean is, it's not a matter of really knowing all of the causes that give rise to an effect. You don't need to know all of the causes that give rise to an effect. What you need to know is that it is causes that give rise to effects. What those causes are, are immaterial. Otherwise, you don't unless you understand all of the causes that give rise to something, you are not, never going to understand anicca. That is not true. So, you know, in which case, you will never understand how this pen is anicca, because we are not experts in material science. So we are never going to understand. But here's something we do know. This pen is a product of causes. These are manifestations. We may not know what all those causes are, but that's okay. That is not what we need to know. It is the anicca-ness that we need to understand. The same applies here. When you see a man on stilts and they've got long trousers so you can't figure out how, how are they? How are they so tall? I've never seen such tall men in my life. Remember the, if you the first time you saw them? You were, <laughs> I mean, really surprised, weren't you? How, how come they're so tall? What are they? How, how are they? They've got so long legs. 
And then someone would have explained to you, no, they're on stilts. And someone asked, what are stilts? Well, they're stood on a, on a long piece of wood or something, and that is how they balance themselves. So these stilts keep this guy up. In the same way, you know, you don't need to know what these are made of, whether it's wood or some other material. It matters not. But what you do need to know is the fact that the reason that he's up there is because there are, there's something that's holding him up. That understanding is essential for you to understand anicca. Where Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, and Vijnana are concerned, here's what you need to know. All of these five, each and every one of them, are supported by causes. They are not fixed entities. So, when you say, Kandanang Udeabhyam, the arising and passing away, do understand, ladies and gentlemen, that it is not an individual rupa that arises and passes away. It's not an entity that arises and passes away. It is not an individual Vedana that arises and passes away. Because there is nothing to arise and pass away. What's going on is, in every instance, if you were to break this down into a trillion instances, how many instances can you break it down to? An infinite number, right? an infinite number of instances you can break this down to. In each of those moments, what you have is a manifestation that is only present because of the causes present in that instance. In that instance. The reason that this is up here has nothing to do with why it was up there in the previous instance. Nothing to do with it. Yes, this would have been one of the causes. You can, you can say that. This is one of the causes, you know, otherwise, why would this appear here? Can it not be here, right? So every time something happens, it becomes a cause for the next thing. But it is not, it is not the reason. It only becomes a cause. It, it contributes towards that. That's all. It contributes. Now try and get your thinking about this and reflect on this. So now you're stood in front of, the ter in, in front of your refrigerator. You've got the jelly there. You've got a spoon in your hand. And ask yourself, where's the I, first of all? Because I want to eat jelly. Where's the I, first of all? Who is the I? What is the I? What is this sense of self I have? Well, in, in that moment, you'll think you're thinking about your, yourself. But now you understand this is a perception of self. Because a chitta cannot feel a self. I gave you some evidence to this last week. The very fact that you decide to do something right now, and in a few moments you change your mind. If there was such a thing as an entity, if there was such a thing as a self, how would that even be possible? How is it that when you start doing something, a few moments later, you begin to wonder, is it worth doing? Should I be doing this? Can I actually do this? Do I want to do this? And then you change your mind and do something entirely different. You go into the shop to buy something, you buy it, and on the way back, before you come out of the exit, you think to yourself, I don't know, maybe I should hand it back and get a refund. There are times before you walk out the store, you turn around and go back to the cashier and say, you know what, I've changed my mind. Can I have my money back, please? And then you ask people, why can't you make your mind up? Well, why can't you make your blooming mind up? <laughs> you can't make your mind up because that is the toughest thing to do in this world, making one's mind up because there is no one mind to make up. So it's fine you say that. Why can't you make your mind up? But do understand that what you're asking someone to do is something impossible to do. Making one's mind up. You know what people say, what they actually mean when they say, make your mind up? Here's what they say. All of this, I'm, I'm sharing with you because it helps you to reflect on this. 
Yatoyato Samasati. Okay? When someone asks you to make your mind up, here's what they're asking you to do. Individual chittas, each arising and passing away, or each manifesting because of causes present in that instance. Okay? This one takes an object. I want ice cream. This one also takes that object. I want ice cream. Actually, you know what? I want a faluda. Uh, maybe make that a milkshake. Now, this, now the guy says, looking at you, can't you make your mind up? Which mind are you talking about? <laughs> Which mind? What they're saying is, can you not think of one and keep to that? That's what they're saying. If you said ice cream, don't come back and say faluda now. Keep to ice cream. And don't say milkshake now. Keep to ice cream. That's what they're saying. But it is an unreasonable ask. Here's why. <laughs> it's not the same chitta. That's like saying something like this, okay? This gentleman, he says, um, I want to leave at three. This gentleman says, I want to leave at two. And I ask him, why can't you make your mind up? You just said three a moment ago. You get the idea? So what is this gentleman going to say back to me? No, I didn't. I never said. This is the first time I'm speaking to you. I want to go at two. I said, no, you said you wanted to go at three a moment ago. I said, no, that was not me. It was the gentleman on the other side there. The same concept applies, ladies and gentlemen, here. No two chittas have ever spoken twice. Say that again. No chitta has, has ever spoken twice. The moment it's, it claims it wants something, it's not the same chitta that is present in the moment you give it what it asks for. Not it, the thing that it asked for earlier. So never, you know, a chitta never gets, gets what it asks for. It never does. Because all it can do is ask for it. By the time it passes away, when you give it, when you give whatever has been asked for, you're actually giving it to another chitta. The reason that you feel that it is you who's going through this experience is because in each of these, you also have another thing going on, and we call it jati. We call it jati. This jati gives you a sense of self. It gives you this impression that I am here. Now, see, do try and understand this. Of course, when this chitta arises, this chitta is no longer present, right? It's no longer present. And none of these are present because this is the direction in which we, we are considering this. So time flows in this direction. But here's the deal. When this chitta arises and you have jati here, or each of these chittas have left a fragment in memory. So each of these chitta, this chitta is, is able to go back to memory and find out what each of these chittas did when it arose. It's like today you are able to find out what your father did because you have the photographs. You're able to find out who your grandfather got married to because you have the photographs. You're able to find out where they went, what things they did, right? where they went to school because maybe he's, he's left a diary. You can read it and find out what they did. So there are historical accounts of what people, people who've lived before us did when they did. But these are all historical accounts. Is it fair to punish you for something your grandfather's done? Hmm? Is it fair to punish you for something your grandfather's done? 
Okay, let's keep grandfather. Is it fair to punish you for something your father's done? Is it? It's not. Is it fair to punish you for something your child has done? No. It's only fair to punish you for something that you have done, right? Okay, so then tell me, who do you punish? Your child, right, plays ball in the living room. He kicks the ball at this, uh, to the, at the television, and now the screen's cracked. You get home and you, you find out that the TV's cracked and you ask, who's done this? The child says, I did it, Dad. Now you get angry. You're about to punish the child. Are you punishing? <laughs> Who are you punishing right now? You're punishing an innocent chitta. You're punishing an innocent chitta. Only karma has the right to do that, not you. Because karma is God. Only karma has the right to punish a chitta that has not done bad. If you take over that, if you take charge of that, now you end up doing the karma. That's why Guru Andhra says, don't become karma's perpetrator. Or don't become the person who inflicts punishment that is due by karma. Let, let, let karma sort it out. Let karma sort it out. You become the executioner. Only karma has the right to inflict punishment for something that you haven't done. When you, if you, once you become an arahant, won't you have to suffer for deeds you've done in the past? Didn't that happen to uh, Angulimala, the great Thera? Didn't it happen to uh, Mahamogallana, the great Thera? It did, right? But who dealt with dealt these punishments? Karma was due to deal it, deal it. But the robbers came, stepped in, and they took it, took over. The burglars they took over. The murderers they took over. And so therefore, in doing so, they committed heinous sins. Only karma has the right to do that. So I ask you, when you're about to punish someone, when you're about to punish your child, if you are a sensible parent, you've got to ask yourself, who am I punishing? Are you punishing the body? What wrong has the body done? Was it the body that kicked the ball? Okay, let's say that was by accident. Let's say something that they actually did, something, something mischievous that they actually did. Like, for instance, uh, they said a swear word. Right? And now you want to punish them. Or they went and he slapped their brother. Hmm? And now you want to punish them for it. When you are about to make that, inflict that punishment, where is the person who committed the crime? Where's the person who committed the crime? So when you take out your anger on someone, where's the person who committed the sin, the crime against you? Where are they? Yep. This is why, if you don't understand this, if you don't reflect on Kandanang Udayabhyang, you fall in, you're at great peril. You're asking for trouble. One who understands the Dhamma, one who understands the re this, this reality, they realize it is not my role to punish anybody because the person that deserves the punishment is no longer present. Because it is not a person that committed a, a, a sin. It is a chitta. 
You can't catch that chitta after again, after that. It's, it's lost forever. Now you'll ask me, well, Swami Nasa, then as responsible parents, should we not punish our children? Let me answer that question as best as I can. As responsible parents, there are certain punishments which are fair game. But here's how you need to think before you punish. Okay? I'm trying to explain to you through the lens of Dhamma. Your thinking that you need to be armed with before you inflict punishment on a child or a student or whatever. Remember, you're not punishing for the deed that was done. Whoa, what Swami answer? You'll say. I'm not punishing for the deed that was done? No, because the deed that was done was not done by this person. What happens if you're, if you're punishing the child for the deed that was done? You're not punishing the, the perpetrator of the crime. This child is innocent. In fact, they might even come up to you and say, I've committed an offense. You know, what a great child that is. Someone who says, I've committed an offense. I've done something bad. I'm sorry. Right? And if you're not sensible, sometimes you end up punishing that child. But here's how you need to impose punishments, inflict punishments on anyone who you need to. Maybe that's a colleague at work, if you, got, you, know, if you need to punish them. I mean, you don't whack them with a stick, but you know, maybe it's a verbal warning or a letter of some sort. Or if it's particularly your children, right? This is where usually this, this punishment business comes in. Or your students. When you want to punish a child, you need to understand that the punishment that you're giving them is not for the deed that was done. Although they'll think that it is for that. And in fact, when you ask them, you're, you're talking to them about it. It's for the deed that, that was done. You're asking them about the deed that was done. Why did you do it? You know, why did you not ask me before taking it and all, all that? The only reason you should punish and for that punishment to be a valid punishment is if you punish with the intention of teaching this chitta. Remember when you are going to punish this, this chitta now. This is a good chitta. Not committed sin. You are, all you want to do is inform in other words, educate. You're trying to teach this chitta that you need to learn something. Because each chitta, remember, can drop some knowledge into the memory banks, can't it? Yeah, each chitta can do that. Just as these chittas dropped fragments of memory, and this is why this chitta is now coming and saying, I did that, so he's now confessing. Each chitta can drop a, a learning, lessons learned, into its memory. So the punishment should always be focused on that. What can I teach this chitta so that karma does not step in and punish an innocent chitta? Because here's what happens if you don't give that punishment, right? This is the chitta that did the bad deed, stole something. Now, here's the chitta that comes up to you and says, I've done it or you, they get caught out and now it's time to punish. When you punish this, this chitta, you have to punish with one intention in mind. This karma has already been done and so now it's in the, it's in the karma, karmic strand. So at some point it's gonna come back, isn't it? It's gonna come back and it's gonna, it's gonna hurt. The only reason you can punish is because you understand this cycle now you have compassion towards a future chitta. You have compassion towards a future chitta. 
but the future is designed today. So you teach this chitta. This is the chitta that you're now going to punish. You're going to give this chitta a lesson out of compassion. There's no other way you can do this. You've got to do it out of compassion. So you say, I'm going to now punish you because I want you to understand that such a deed should not be done again. This is what you say. Of course, you know, this chitta is never going to do it because it's busy listening to what you're saying. <laughs> How can it go and do the deed, right? It's listening, busy with you. But what you're saying is, I'm going to give you a punishment now so that you never do that again. When you do so, it drops something into karma and it drops something into memory. I mean, you know, if a child had, if a child had zero memory, would you punish it? Would there be a point in punishing if a child had no memory? Let's say they just, they have short-term memory loss. Like what happens now, they forget in a few moments. They, they only remember it for, say, two minutes, right? Is there any point in punishing this person? Any point? No. So then why do you punish? So that they remember the next time they're about to do something, that this is something that they shouldn't be doing. If you want to do it out of compassion, that is the only way you, you're entitled to do it. If you want to do it out of compa compassion, do it so that this chitta is able to drop this learning to its memory so that in a, when a future chitta arises, when a future chitta arises, it is now able to go into memory. As all chittas are capable of doing so, it is now able to go into memory and pick that lesson from memory. What lesson? This is a deed that should not be done. If it, you know, if it's able to bring that memory to the forefront and realize that truth in this moment, here's what it won't do. It will not drop something again into the karma, karmic strand. By not doing that bad deed, it's not going to create a future in which it's going to suffer. Now you see, punishment should only be done out of compassion. You're, you're punishing your child today so that the child does not have to suffer tomorrow. If you can't do it out of compassion, then don't do it at all, because what you're doing is self-harm. Why do I say that is self-harm? Yep, absolutely. That's one of the best ways that parents can commit self-harm, by punishing their children when they're angry. When they're angry, if you punish your children, you're not actually hurting the child, you're hurting, more, you're hurting yourself more than you're hurting the child. Because on the child, you're just bringing back Vipaka, but on yourself, you're committing karma. The karma of inflicting pain upon someone else. It matters not that you're parents. There's no special license to punish your children. Don't think your child comes with a special license, you know, so that parents are able to punish them. Not so. Because it is only in your mind that they're children, your children. Who says so? They're nature's children, just as you are. That's not your children. So this right that we feel that we have, or the sense of entitlement that we have to punish our children, you know, this is all self-imposed. We, 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 we think it up. But what I'm saying is not to, not, not to punish. There's a way in which you can punish. But that punishment should be done out of compassion with an understanding of sabbaso namaru pasming. And this kandanang udayabya. With that understanding, it's reasonable. And fair game. You're doing it so that future pain can be prevented, can be avoided.
Now my question is this. Having understood all this, tomorrow you're going to find yourself stood in front of the refrigerator and there's going to be a jelly in the fridge. How capable do you feel of reflecting on Kandanang Udayabhyam? Ask yourself this question because you need to be armed with this Dhamma. Remember, you're not wanting the jelly. It's not the jelly that you want. You're looking for joy and you're looking for delight. You're looking for pleasure. You're looking for happiness. The Buddha teaches you how to find happiness. In the Buddha's Guide to Happiness, it says exactly this. That's what this series is called, isn't it? Buddha's Guide to Happiness. So you have this. This is the, this is the formula. Yato yato sammasati. Khandana mudyabhya. Lapati piti pamucca. Amatantam vijanata. Reflect on the rising and passing away of the skandhas. That is the Buddha's guide to happiness. To be able to do so, you need to understand what the skandhas are. What does he mean by the skandhas? Is it a rupa that is an entity? No, rupa is not an entity. Rupa is a manifestation. Is Vedana an entity? No, Vedana is a manifestation. The sanya, sankara and vijnana, all the same. These are all manifestations. Contemplation on the fact that these are manifestations will, 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 will teach you. Contemplation on the fact that these are all manifestations will remind you that when you take one instance, one instance, this is not one entity that has arisen and passed, passed away. These are all individual instances, each, each, one, each and every one of them. If you can't take it this, this deep, at least, at the very least, at the very least, right, contemplate on the fact that these are individual chittas. Even that is sufficient. Even that is good enough. I mean, when you get deeper into your practice, now you go into chitta, anupassana and so on, right, as you deepen your practice, you can begin to contemplate that not even, there's not even an entity of a chitta. These are all, every instant, every instance is either a rupa instance, a vedana instance, sanya instance. These are all instances. Instances that are that are held up like, the, like a man on stilts. The causes keep it up. The causes keep him alive. That's it. <laughs> nothing is fixed. Nothing, nothing remains. Nothing is static. It's always constantly dynamic. It's in a constant state of unrest. That is the way it is. All things are. But amidst all this, you sense a sense of self. You think, I'm here. I'm here and I'm the one who's doing all this. And that's what happens here. I want to eat the jelly. Ask yourself, is this really what's going on? Before you try to find an art, you know, here's the best way to approach problem solving. Before you find a solution, understand the problem first. If you go, if you think that this is the problem, you haven't understood the problem. So therefore, the solution you're going to take for it is going to be the wrong one. If you think the problem is I want to eat jelly, the solution will be Let's go have some. But if you break this problem down into its constituent parts and really understand what the problem is, now you will see Kandana Udebya. Now, what is the answer? Now, what is the answer? You no longer have a problem. Therefore, you don't need an answer. Understanding the problem is the answer. That is the beauty of Buddhism. You don't need to go looking for answers. All you have to do is understand the problem. If you take a piece of bit of string and tie it up, right? Put some knots on it, and now you want to undo this, 
this, that undo these knots and bring it back to a, a, you know, just a, a string, you begin by looking at where the knots are. I wish I had a string on me and I could have shown it to you. When you tie it up, right? Ah, let's take this. Right? This is a knot. Okay? If you want to understand how to solve this problem, this is a problem. If you want to understand how to solve this problem, you just need to understand the problem. That's the answer. I don't know if you get what I'm trying to explain to you. I'll keep trying. There's a knot here, and that's a problem, because this is not smooth, right? If you want to solve this problem, all you've got to do is understand the problem. Let me prove it to you. To solve this problem, what do you actually do? Yes, you take it into your hand, and you look at where the folds of the, 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 the napkin are. You see where the nap is gone through. You, know, where you, you, start, you start following. So if you started here, you start following this to see where is that knot, where is that knot. See, now you're looking to understand the problem. You're not looking for a solution. You're trying to understand the problem. You, you start from one end and you start working your way towards the other end until you get to the problem. Once you're at the problem, now you begin to see, okay, how is it tied? How is it tied? You, begin, you actually want to understand the knot. Once you've understood the knot, ah, okay, that's it. That is the solution. Now you have the solution. You can, of course, take the action of pulling this out and undoing the knot. But the problem is already solved, isn't it? The problem of what's wrong here has already been solved. The next up is just the execution of it. Next up is the execution of it. But before you begin the execution, you need to understand the problem. Because if you didn't understand the problem, here's what you're going to do. See? And sometimes the, th the very thing you do is going to make the problem worse. I mean, has that never happened in your life? Trying to solve a problem, you just made it worse. And then you think to yourself, I should have just left it alone. It was a better problem then than it is now. Sensuality is all about that. When there's a problem and you don't understand the problem, trying to find a solution to that is one of the worst things you could do. Because every time you find, you think you're getting closer to a solution, you're actually walking miles away from the actual solution. See, when you thought you couldn't live alone, what did you do? <laughs> hmm? <laughs> when you thought yourself you couldn't live alone, what did you do? You found someone else who also couldn't live alone. Problem halved or problem doubled? Problem doubled. Now it's double trouble. See, you didn't understand the problem. That's the, the worst thing you can do. And it always is the problem. It always happens that way. If you don't understand the problem, you're only going to make things worse. That's what you did. When you had that rash, the rash of lust, and you didn't know what to do, you didn't understand that this was a rash, but you felt the, the itch, what did you do? You scratched it. 
Isn't that the last thing you should be doing? But you did it because you had no alternative. That's why I keep on saying, the power of your merits is down to the fact that you have an alternative. I know you still feel sensuality. You still go through Raga, Desha and Moha. Because if you're not an Arahant, then you're still going through these things. But the good thing is, the great thing is, you have an alternative. And so if you're wise, you take that alternative. If you're foolish, you don't take that alternative. That's the simple difference between the wise and the fools. You know, those who don't have an alternative, they have an excuse. Don't they? If you don't have an alternative, you have an excuse. It's like you're stepping out in the you're stepping outside and it's raining. You don't have an umbrella. Don't you have an excuse now? Don't you? Yes, you have an excuse and it's a perfectly reasonable excuse. Oops, I forgot to take my umbrella with me. Okay? That is person one. Here's person two. They step outside. They have an umbrella. But they don't want to take it out and unfold it and hold it above their heads. What is their excuse? What excuse do they have? They have no excuse. So if, if they don't, I mean, if the umbrella was torn or if it was broken, right? Fair enough. You have an excuse. But if you have the umbrella, it's perfectly fine. It's in pristine condition. And you open it, it works. And you're still not taking your umbrella out. <laughs> what would you call such a person? says the good lady. <laughs> she would call her a fool. What would you call them? The same, right? So, you feel the itch of a rash. Hmm? Permission to continue? You feel the itch of a rash. And you know that scratching is, is the, worst, the, the, the worst thing you could do. There's an ointment. You have the medicine. But you can't be bothered to open the medicine, take a bit of it, and rub it over it, and be patient. Give it a few days, a few weeks, and it will be gone for good. You can't be bothered to do that. But you have the medicine, and you know that this is the medicine as well. And every week, the doctor tells you, that's the medicine, that's the medicine, that is the medicine. There is no other medicine, that is the medicine. And every week, they even top it up. Hmm? Even if you haven't used it, they give you a new one, just in case the last one is expired. <laughs> Every week. And you also take yourself to the doctor. So you go to the clinic. You get a prescription, you buy the new drugs, you bring it home, and the bottle's there on the shelf. And now you feel like, you feel an itch. What you do, you default to what you're always used to doing. You keep on scratching. What would you call this person? Don't answer. <laughs> This is what one-third of the population do. Then there are three kinds of people in this world. There are those who have no alternative. They have an excuse. Then there are those who don't have the rash because they've cured themselves. Therefore, they don't need an excuse. But there's a third kind of people who have the rash, they have the medicine, but they just default to doing what they've always been doing. So therefore, they are they are. They are, yeah, they are. Whatever you want to think of them, they are.
<laughs> my ask of you is, you know, don't stay in that group. Join any one of the other two groups and you're okay. You know, either jump to the first group. <laughs> either jump to the first group and forget everything you've learned. So, Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha, you can forget the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha and just pretend that you've never heard the Dhamma before and go back to the old style where you have no Dhamma, therefore you have, it. you have the rash, there's the itch, just keep on scratching. Because if someone asks you why you're scratching, you have an answer now. A perfectly valid answer, I have no alternative. That's acceptable. Or, join the other group, which is, when you have the rash, it's itchy, granted, don't itch. Get the medicine. Oh, sorry, don't, don't scratch yourself. Get the medicine. Apply the medicine. And keep on doing that. After a few weeks, after a few months, maybe a few years, it will be gone for good. Now you don't need an excuse because you're doing the right thing. But if you find yourself in that third group, where you know what you're supposed to do, but you're not doing it, then it is. Don't find yourself there. Yesterday we had a, so we have an English class at the monastery. We have a few of them. There's one that I have the privilege of doing. So I was telling our Swami says, when you come up, because we, they, they, they train themselves to take the Dhamma far and wide. Hmm? So I told them, like, week on week they practice doing sermons and doing you know, various ways in which they can practice their, their English. I said, Swami sir, when you come up here, don't come here to impress me. Although you might consider me to be your teacher, don't come here to impress me. Because I can be fooled. I ask you to come up and come up here and give me a prepare, uh, uh, an impromptu speech, let's say. Okay? What you could do is prepare as homework, right? prepare one or two speeches, and then come up here and pretend that you're actually giving an ad hoc speech. But now I'm fooled. But who's not fooled? The person giving it. They're not fooled. So I said, never try to impress me. But there is one person you can try to impress. Who is that? Impress yourself. Impress yourself. Because I can be fooled. But you can't be ever be fooled by yourself. There are times when you might come up to me and ask me, so I'm in answer. I'm trying to do what you're saying, but I feel like I'm letting you down. I know there are, you know, from time to time, those among you, even now it's begun at Rajagiri as well. I mean, I, very kind-hearted kind people. You know, they want to do this, right? So I, we, we should respect them for that. They come up to me at the end of the summer and say, Swaminas, I don't know whether I'm letting you down. Even last week I fell, not literally, metaphorically. Like there was an opportunity, there, not, there was an obstacle, there was a challenge where I should have done better, but I fell. Right? I, I did the wrong thing, I made the wrong choice, and I feel like I've let you down. I said, Madam, sir, don't, don't, don't worry about trying to impress me. Impress yourself. Because you, it is only you, you can really and truly impress. Because you know who you are. Like, who were you last week? Are you impressed by who you are in comparison to who you were last week? If the answer is yes, well done. Because when you, are, when you come up here, you can pretend to be a saint. And who, you know, for all we know, you're probably, you probably are a saint. But that doesn't matter. Because 
what if you are just a wolf in the skin of a sheep? But the wolf knows that. So whether you are an actual sheep or a wolf, you know that. So there's only one person that's worth trying to impress. There was another one two and a half thousand years ago. You, could, you should have tried to impress him, but unfortunately we don't have him now because you can't fool that person. But me, you can fool at any time. You can come up to me and say, I'm virtuous. I'll say, well done, sir. Well done. You can come up to me and say, Swaminan, sir, I was very kind to my wife last week and she asked me if I should come up, if she should join me for the sermon and uh, come, come to you and say how well I have been and I said, no, you better not. So I just thought I'll come up and say how good I have been to her. Right? So, you know, you, you can be all that and I'll, I'll be impressed. But all the while, you know, you're just a wolf in a sheep's skin. Don't impress me. Impress yourself. When you do a meritorious deed, it's very, it's very uh, tempting to try and impress others around you. Ego gets the better of you. Catch it when it does. Sometimes you, you, you tend to do good things when others are watching. And sometimes, you know, if no one's watching, you're like, why do I bother? There will be things, moments like that. You don't feel like doing it if no one is going to give you credit for it. Who are you trying to impress? Aren't you impressed? Like say you're walking on the road, you see a piece of paper on the ground. Should someone actually watch you as you pick it up and say well done or at least smile at you? Who are you trying to impress? If you're trying to impress yourself, then who should be watching? Who's got to be there watching? Nobody. Because you are the toughest person to impress. Do you agree? So don't pick on an easy target like me. <laughs> huh? Pick on someone your own size. I mean, if you want a target, right? go for the bullseye. Don't shoot around it. Trying to impress me is just shooting around it. But go for the bullseye. You are the toughest person to impress in this whole world, aren't you? Yes. Because you know the devil you are. And you know the God you are. You know who you are. Therefore, you are a tough nut to crack. Impress that person is what I ask you to do. Always go for that. Whether people are watching you, they're appreciating you, they're congratulating you, they're clapping you on, right? Don't worry about that. Let the hooters hoot and the howlers howl. Who cares? Don't worry about that. You be impressed by yourself. So when you're there, stood in front of the refrigerator tomorrow, and the jelly is there in front of you with the spoon in hand, it's not me you should be thinking of. Don't try to impress me. Impress yourself. Because here's what you can do, like I used to do. Just one spoon. Nobody knows. Put it back in the fridge and go up to mum and ask, when are we going to have that jelly? I'm trying to impress her, but here I have been fooled. I have undermined myself. I have belittled myself. <clears throat> I have become cheap. Cheap. Don't feel cheap in your presence. 
Feel extraordinary. In whose presence? In your presence. Feel extraordinary. Don't feel ordinary. Feel extraordinary. Do extraordinary things, ladies and gentlemen. Do extraordinary things. What you've always done is ordinary. Do something else. Do something new. Do something greater than what you've always done. Do something better than what you've always done. Become extraordinary. Always impress the previous chitta. <coughs> May this chitta impress this chitta. May this impress chitta impress this chitta. So then you keep on progressing. You keep on moving forward. Because this guy knows everything that this guy's done. He remembers. He knows everything he did. He knows everything he did. He knows everything you did right from the beginning. So the only person to impress is yourself. I mean, these are good philosophies to have in life. You know, whether you practice the Dhamma or you just want to improve yourself in a worldly sense, these are, these are good philosophies to have in life. It works either way. <clears throat> now, tomorrow you're going to be standing in front of the um, fridge with the jelly in it, spoon in hand. Will you be strong enough to f fight? Are you able to contemplate? Can you do the kandana mudabya? Reflect on that. Are you able to reflect? Practice it now, so that when the moment strikes, when the moment comes, you're you're able to do it. You got to practice now. Sunata the Charat. Chalat. Then you have no regrets. There's no grief. There's no sorrow. You're free. You're happy. Always ask yourself, is it jelly I want? And that's another way you can always you can you can think of these things. Whenever you feel like you want to watch TV, ask yourself, is it, is it watching TV I really want? Or is it happiness I seek? That's a good place to start. A very good place to start. A very good place to start. When you want to watch TV, ask yourself, is it is it actually to watch TV that I want right now? Or is it happiness I want? Then Go back to what you've learned. Your friends would have taught you, watch TV if you want happiness. The Buddha has taught you, if you want happiness. Which one do you choose? All you've got to do, ladies and gentlemen, is take a few steps on this path. Right? If you take a few steps, each step will help you take the next step. That step will help you take the next step. That's the way this works. Until you keep that first step, the second step seems incredibly difficult. So that's why you know, sometimes you feel disheartened to even begin. Sometimes you feel like, how am I ever going to finish this journey? So I better not, I, 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 you know, why should I even bother starting? That's not how it's going to work. It's never going to be as tough as it is today. All you've got to do is just take the first step. The second step is always easier than the first one. Always. <laughs> so take that first step. If you're considering becoming an Anagarika, for instance, or an Anagarika, right? come and spend a week at the monastery. That's the first step. Take that step, and the next step is always going to be easier. Always. But if you don't take that first step, you'd always be thinking, can I, can I, can I, can't I, can I, can't I? And just keep on thinking. Actions bring results. You can keep wishing for things. This is the difference between a wish and a determination. In Sinhalese, you refer to it as prarthana and adhisthana. There's a difference. With a prarthana or a, or a, or a wish, it, it, it just stops at manosankara. That's it. Oh, I wish. Oh, how I wish. A chitta is born. It carries a wish. That's it. And it passes away. 
You don't have any vachi sankara, no kaya sankara. Right? No, the actions are not done. It just stops at a mano sankara. Actions aren't done. But once you, you know, for things to happen in this world, you need vipaka, right? Vipaka is what makes things happen in this world. All that goes on, from the sun rising to the sun setting, to the wind blowing, to the streams flowing, all of this is just vipaka, right? This is all vipaka. So for vipaka to happen, you need to create an environment that draws it. So to create that environment, you need the mind to, 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 to brace itself for that, to, to prepare itself for that. And that is what Adhishthana does. See, think about this. Whenever you have, you've had one of these Adhishthanas or these resolves to do something, you didn't just think about it and leave it there, did you? You always took action. But when you had a wish for something, you just kept on wishing. I, oh, how I wish. Oh, how I wish I was richer. You can keep on wishing. But someone who's determined, they don't stop at that. What they do is they go and search if there are any vipakas that might come to fruition and give you what you seek. It's like rummaging around a box full of stuff to see if you can find what you, have, what you want. This box of karma or this strand of karma has enough and more of what you, whatever you want. If you want the four great hells, there's plenty of it there. If you want to go to the heavens, there's plenty and more of it there. If you want to listen to the Dhamma, that's also there. If you want to attend Nibbana, it's all there. But it's like a lottery ticket. You've got to scratch it first. They don't give you the prize money without you doing that. First, you've got to buy the ticket and then you've got to scratch it. You have to take the first step, as God says, weave and I shall give you string. You've got to weave first. What's the point of giving you string if you're not going to weave? So if you want, you know, this, if you want this, if you want what I speak of here, this joy, this delight, you've got to take the first step. I keep on addressing the individuals behind this camera. You're here because you know, I see most of you, you all, you've all jumped onto this boat. Actually, there are no devotees now for me to speak to. Certainly not on a Saturday. Everyone's a convert. Hmm? So I speak to those who I wish I could see their faces, but I cannot. They're on the other side of a TV screen. I speak to you. Take the first step. Look at those who've taken the first step and see what has happened. Well, unfortunately, you can't see them. You can only see me. This is why this community is so, so important. You know, bringing yourself here is so important. Because, so, you know, then you see, ah, it's not just me. There are others who are also losing their nut. <laughs> that is enough to convince yourself. You need that. You absolutely need that. Because initially, you have this, this sense of fear. You have a sense of, uh, maybe even a dis, you know, sense of distrust. Maybe, you know, you need some assurance. You know, you, we are not bodhisattvas, Right? In other words, we are not Buddha aspirants. Some are some Buddha aspirants. You know, they're a special kind of people. They don't need this. They don't need a community. The, the Bodhisattva tried it with the community. He tried it the last time with five people. It didn't work. Then he realized, this is an, I'm, I'm here to be a Samma some Buddha. This is not going to work. So therefore, I have to isolate myself. He doesn't do it with the community. But unless you're a Buddha or a Pacheka Buddha, 
We all need that community. It is an essential part of the practice. I call it immersion. See, answer this question for me. What is the best way, so this is something I shared with the Swami Nasus yesterday as well. What is the best way to learn a foreign language? Speak with them. What else? Practice. Yes? Uh, go to that country and spend some time there. Total immersion. Total immersion. Give yourself no other choice. Because when, it, when it's between sink or swim, for survival, you will have to swim. That's what we are doing here in this asana. It's either swim or sink. It's either the Buddha's way or no way at all. In the sasana, it's like that, you know. Either the Buddha's way or no way at all. In other words, you say either the Buddha's way or the highway. You either be here and do what the Buddha wants us to do or get the heck out of this place. This is total immersion. That's why Nibbana works for us. Because we have no other choice. When we want to eat jelly, what do you think we do? Call Hashimah, yeah? Hashimah, any devotees wishing to offer any jelly? Yeah. <laughs> if I ever feel the need for that. Huh? If one of us, Swami Nonsis, ever feels the need for that. If they, can't, if they can't handle themselves, they'll go to their teacher. And what do you think the teacher's going to say? Swami Nonsis, come to your senses. Come to your senses. What are you asking for? You want ice cream? Who's the you that wants ice cream? Immersion. Total immersion. This is the way we picked up those languages. You know, I am able today to speak the English language not because I have a special gift of some sort. When I was very young, my parents took me to a country where there was no one who spoke Sinhalese except for one girl in the classroom. She was the girl I was trying to impress. <laughs> so, you Im can you imagine what happened to me when I wanted to go to the washroom? How can you ask the girl you're trying to impress, can you show me the washroom? Or can you ask the teacher on my behalf? I, I couldn't speak the language. I couldn't speak English then. But my parents took me there, and, but today I've picked up the language, I'm, I'm trying to show you what happened with me. How come? I have picked up the language like this. This is the story I was sharing with our Swami Nuhan says, immerse yourselves. The same concept applies here, in Nibbana as well, immerse yourselves. That is why the Sravakas, the Sravikas, the Vaisis, that's why we do these programs, to immerse you as much as you possibly can. So I remember so vividly that day, I was sat in the classroom, and there was a classroom full of people who only spoke in English, and no other tongue, and I couldn't speak a word in English. I could say yes, no, a few other words, but that was it. And I wanted to go to the toilet. Now, I didn't know where the toilet was. That was my first day in class. You know what happened? Yes. But that day, I told myself, never again. <laughs> never again. I was so embarrassed with myself. I didn't want to sink again. So you know what I started doing? I started to swim. Because I had no other choice. 
either sink in your own pee or swim yourself out of this. Those were the only two choices left for me. So here's what I did then. I went to the library and I read every book there was in the library. Every English book I could get my hands on, I took it home and I read it page to page, learning the language. I used to fail all my exams. I, used to, I wasn't able to do my homework because if you don't know the language, how can you do it? But I made a determination. I was not going to let fate make me lose. I was going to win. So determined, resolved to do it, I went to work at it. And I got help from my teachers. My, my, my vacations were spent reading. That's all I did. From morning to dusk, I would read. Novels. Most of the time, you could find non-fiction, uh, but I read, I read them. Every book that was in the library, that was read. There's not a single book that has not been read. I, at least I tried. So I went from zero. When I first started school, by the time I left school, I was the, I was the head prefect of the school. Like I said, it's not a special gift. <laughs> they don't know. You know, nature doesn't give special gifts to anybody. You only get what you deserve. Nature is always fair. Everyone gets their fair chance. So I became first in class. In, in two years, I developed myself. Then I found myself teaching other students. Picked myself up. And my parents weren't interested in speaking in English at home either. We spoke in Sinhalese at home, so I had only one way of learning the language, and that was by improving myself. So I took extra lessons and so on. So in two years' time, I was you know, on the top of my game. This was primary school I'm talking about. And then it happened again. When I came back to Sri Lanka, <laughs> I remember the first essay they asked, my teacher asked me to write. It was on Ibba. I didn't know what an Ibba was. Now how do you write an essay if you don't know what the heck you're writing about? I didn't know what an Ibba was. That was grade six. I could hardly manage Sinhalese. I couldn't form structured sentences. I didn't know my grammar. I didn't know the synonyms. I, I didn't know how to end a sentence. I didn't know that there was a difference between spoken Sinhalese and written Sinhalese. All of this was just, you know, foreign. It was a foreign language to me. So you can imagine how I performed in the first six months, first year at school. Two years later, I was first in class. Immersion. Because now, I was in a country, I was in a school, I had no choice. I had to. It was either sink. Then I ended up teaching Sinhalese <laughs> to people who had learned Sinhalese from grade one. Because I, I fell in love with Sinhalese. To this day, I still really enjoy that language. The, the, the various nuances of it, how it's structured and the way in which you can express yourself. The grammar, I mastered it because I had to, no choice. Because if you wanted to become first in class, you had to be very good in Sinhalese, which is you know, one of the mandatory subjects. My point here is, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one way to win this. 
You've got to immerse yourself. So this is why I ask all of you out there, if your stars have lined up, then come. If they haven't lined up, line them up and then come. Don't wait for them to line up. You line them up. You know, Sagittarius was never up there. People drew the lines. Capricorn was never meant to be. They were just random stars in the sky. People drew the lines. Didn't they? Aquarius is a, is a design that people drew. They, drew. they joined the lines between the stars. That's how the zodiac signs were born. People did that. Human beings did that. So they created a masterpiece out of chaos. Today you have the 12 zodiac signs. What a wonderful sight when you look up in the sky. You have an app, you can hold it to the sky and you can see all the signs, the zodiac signs. But they were not there. God just gave string. That's all he did. But people, they weaved. Weaved a masterpiece. So what are we supposed to do then? Immerse yourself, this is the only solution. If you want Nibbana, right, don't have a casual affair with Nibbana. Be serious about it. If you become casual with serious things in life, you become a casualty. Don't take the serious things in life casually. Don't ever take marriage casually because it's a serious thing. Don't ever take your children casually because it's a serious thing. If you take the serious things in life casually, you become a casualty. Your health, is no laughing matter. It's a serious thing. Don't take it casually. Don't put the wrong things down, here, down your throat. Give yourself the exercise. You need all that. Because your health, if you lose it, you can't get it back. The same goes for Nibbana, does it not? If you lose this chance, you're not going to get it back. So don't take it casually. You will have to pay the price. So if your stars haven't lined up yet, line them up. You take the first step, the rest will follow. I promise you, you think it was easy to make this jump? Hmm? Speak to our Swami Nuhanses when you get a chance. Speak to our Anagarika Mahatmas when you get a chance. Speak to our Anagarika Mahatmas when you get a chance and ask them, was it easy to make this jump? Oh, no, 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 certainly not. What is easier, to raise a child or to, to, or to murder one? Raising a child, doing the good things are always difficult to do. It's always difficult because you have to line up all the causes. You need determination, you need resolve, you need resilience. You need to keep going. You need to take action, you need to have the energy. All of those things you've got to line up. But for those who do, the rewards are plentiful. <laughs> That's why you have chosen the life of a Sila Shravika, a Sila Shravika, a Sila Vasi, and so on, because you want to immerse yourself in the Dhamma. So I ask those who are yet to make that choice, who are still considering, you can keep, I mean, what is the expiry date for considering? Hmm? Yes, you can keep on considering. That's, that's a lovely word, isn't it? I'm considering it. Until when? Until I make my mind up. When are you going to make your mind up? When I've considered it. When I'm done considering. When is that? 
I don't know when when I made my mind up. When is that? When I'm done considering. So you see, you know, in in life, like gentlemen, if ever you find yourself on a fence, right? One day, two day, three days, it's okay. After that, jump to either side and see what happens. I mean, live a life where you've done something. Don't live a life on a fence. You're neither on this side nor are you on the other side. Nothing happens. You know, that's like a ship anchored. What's the point? Ships were meant to sail. It's safe in the harbor, but what's the point? That's, what not, that's not what ships were made for. They were made to sail, right? So, sail. <laughs> You've got yourself a fantastic, a fabulous life, full of vitality, energy, youth on your side, right? The stars have lined up. Trust me, they have. Otherwise, you and I, we wouldn't have met. We wouldn't have met. The stars have lined up. I speak to especially those behind the camera, but, but this is my chance to do that. And I speak to you. You've already <laughs> jumped on this side of the fence, but I speak to those over there, right? Make that jump and see what happens. If you're considering it, consider it for a while, you know, give it reasonable time, but only reasonable time. At some point, it becomes unreasonable. Then you're just procrastinating. Catch yourself when you're doing that. You're just procrastinating. You, 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 you just, you're chickening out. That's what you're doing. You know what you're supposed to do, but you can't, you don't have the guts to do it. And therefore, missed opportunities. Time and time and time and time again. One day, this opportunity gets taken away from you, and then you've got no choice to make. Remember this lesson. In life, it's good to have choices. But if you don't make the choice, then destiny will make, choice, make the choice for you. They'll take away one of the choices. Now the choice is made, isn't it? Do I marry her? Do I not? Do I marry her? Do I, do I ask her out or do I not? Shall I propose to her? Shall I not? Huh? One day, two days, three days, three weeks, four weeks, six months. Then what does fate do? Someone comes and takes her away. Ah, now the choice has been made. See? You don't have choices infinitely for you know, as long as you want. They have an expiry date. So if you keep procrastinating making these choices, nature will make those choices on your behalf. Make those choices. If it's a good choice and you know the Buddha recommended it, I mean, what other recommendation do you want? Hmm? How much more recommendation do you need other than the Buddha? If you got the Buddha's word, Brahmacharya is the path to live. The life of a brahmachari, you know, this is the path to happiness. This is the path to happiness. This is how you seek happiness, delight and joy in your life. So if the Buddha has given that recommendation, what more do you seek? <coughs> Who else do you need to sign that letter? The President of the United States? Who else do you need to vouch for this? Hmm? Mark Zuckerberg? Do you think he knows how to be happy? <laughs> He doesn't know how to be happy. I wish he did. One day he will learn it. And then what, you know what he'll do? The first thing he's going to do is he's going to get himself off Facebook. That's the first thing he's going to do. <laughs> because he'll realize, me being on Facebook is of no use to me. Because on Facebook nobody tells me how to do Kandana Udayabhya. So he's going to get himself off Facebook. 
But people keep jumping on Facebook. Got nothing against Facebook, I'm just saying. So you're going to find yourself in front of the, your jelly tomorrow. Right? Do this. This is your practice. This is the charata dhammi. Practice, and that will make perfect. If you don't practice, you can keep on, you know, day by day, day by day, day by day, it will keep on passing, but immerse yourself. That is why this environment is so essential to one's practice in Nibbana. Otherwise, you've got to wonder why the Buddha created the sasana, right? Why did the Buddha create the sangha? There were times in, in, in the, back in the day, some monks used to isolate themselves from the community. They used to go and practice on their own. And then when questioned by the other monks, they would say, well, the Buddha has advised us to practice in isolation, hasn't he? And so these monks, they took this message to the Buddha and, and said, Venerable Sir, you know, some of these monks, they go away and they want to practice in isolation. It's, they say that this is you who has advised that. And you know what the Buddha says? Ask that fool to come. So the Buddha summons this monk. He says, when, what are you doing? Sir, I'm practicing in isolation. When did I ask you to do that? But you said isolate yourself, right? I said, you fool. I said, isolate yourself from Raga, Dvesha and more. Not from the community of the Sangha who are there to, to, to point out to you when Raga, Dvesha and Moha have gotten the better of you. So keep yourself with the Sangha and isolate yourself from Raga, Dvesha and Moha. That is my advice to you. This is what the Buddha said. So he himself believed in and advised total immersion. I know total immersion is not going to be possible for all of you. I get that. I understand that because I was there once in your, in your shoes. But to whatever degree you can, this is the answer, folks. Immerse yourselves. If it is only one day a week, do that. If it is two days a week, do that. You know, we have created programs for people. Right? We have the Sila Uwesi program, which means you can come whenever you, you can. The Sravaka program is the same. You can come whenever you can. If you become a Sravika, then you have to be here, what, five days a week? Five days a week, right? For those who are able to do that, they've got that. If you can commit your whole life to this and you're a woman, you've got the Anagarika program. You've got that. Constantly in the, in the, in the community of the Sangha. Constantly. If you're a male, right, and if you haven't gone past the age with which, at which we have to draw a line in the sand and say, sorry, then you have the Sravaka program. Come in whenever you can. But if you can commit yourself entirely and totally immerse yourself, then you have an Anagarika program. We cater to all as much as we possibly can. So, here's the thread. <laughs> here's the thread. If you are ready to weave. I give you the thread, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready to weave? Don't say yes, 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 and hold your hands to the back. Yes, Swami, I'm ready to weave. Give me the thread. So I'm holding the thread out to you. I can't, Swami. No, sir. Don't be like that. Here's the thread. I'll start weaving. And create a masterpiece. Create something beautiful out of your lives. Create a masterpiece out of your lives is what I'm asking you to do. Don't be an ordinary person. You were born ordinary. Don't die ordinary. Don't die ordinary. You are born ordinary. Yeah, you are all born ordinary. Whether you are born a prince or a peasant, you are born ordinary. But don't die ordinary. <laughs> die 
extraordinary. To do that, keep impressing yourself. That's what you got to do. May you all die extraordinary. <laughs> but to die extraordinary, you've got to live extraordinary lives. To live extraordinary lives, you've got to do extraordinary things. To do extraordinary things, you've got to be in the presence of extraordinary people. That is why be prepared to pay any price to be in the presence of extraordinary people. Are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to give up your comforts like your ice cream, your playstations, your TV? Are you willing to give up mundane things such as that to achieve something extraordinary? Are you? I ask you. Are you willing to give up your TV to become an extraordinary person? Today you watch TV. How about you get yourself on TV? Hmm? Which one's more extraordinary? Watching TV or getting yourself on TV? Which one? You know, the people who are on TV, they don't watch TV because they don't have the time to watch TV. Trust me. You think Elon Musk has time to watch TV? I'm using names that you know. He doesn't have time to watch TV because he's always on TV. Ordinary people watch TV. Extraordinary people are on TV. In the same way, if you're someone who's watching TV, you're just an ordinary person. Get yourself on TV. Have you not seen Guru Handra on TV? He doesn't watch it though. <laughs> he's an extraordinary person. He's an extraordinary person. So get yourself on TV. What do you want your child to do? Watch TV at home or be on TV? Hmm? I ask you. But people think that in life there are TV programs must watch before you die. Yeah? <laughs> must watch before you die. How about you set yourself a goal? I must get myself on TV before I die. How's that for a goal? Get yourself on TV before you die. Watching YouTube or being on YouTube, which one is better? Subscribing to the most subscribed channel or creating a content and being in that on the most subscribed channel. Which one's extraordinary? Ah, you have the answer. Don't be a subscriber, be the subscribed too. That's what we ought to do here. We are creating extraordinary things here, ladies and gentlemen. And human beings are what we are trying to, what we deal with. This is our raw material, you. You are our raw material. The value add is the Dhamma, the Buddha and the Sangha. The Sangha are the people who, who give that extraordinariness to you. They keep adding that value until this ordinary becomes something extraordinary. Think about it. Right, let's conclude for today then. Let us all take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, inviting the monks, the Samino Hasi, to deliver the sermon, listening to the sermon and creating a conducive environment so that others could come along and attend the talks and practice alongside on the path to Nibbana. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in the presence of the Lord Buddha's teaching 
And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha, transcribed it in the Tipitaka and carried it through the noble lineage, which is available today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, Friends of the monastery who, for the sake of merits, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who provide for the construction of the monastery, as well as those who provide shelter, arms, robes, and medicines, and those who provide their know how and continue to extend their well wishes. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to our mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our employers, and our employers our teachers, our friends and acquaintances, and everyone who's gone the extra mile on our behalf. May they all rejoice in these merits and with gratitude and compassion and loving kindness to all of them. Let us transfer all these merits to them by the power of these merits. May they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who have committed themselves towards a better to protecting and preserving the Sambhu Dasasana. Let us also transfer these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May they all prosper in divine power and wisdom. Let us also, beg your pardon, by the power of these merits, may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our loved ones, those who have passed away in our name our forefathers and our ancestors, and reminding ourselves that in this long journey of samsara, they will have sacrificed life and limb on our behalf. It is their blood, sweat, and tears. Today we are able to enjoy the fruits and labor of. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer this message to all members of the armed forces, as well as the police force, who sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation as well as those friends and foe who would have lost their lives in, in the war. Let us also transfer this message to those who have lost their lives to natural disasters and calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, fires, blizzards, floods, pandemics and so on, reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of samsara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, friends to us, brothers and sisters to us. They will have done everything in their power to help us and put us at ease in times of distress. May they all rejoice in these merits out of compassion and loving kindness and an abundance of gratitude towards all of them, let us transfer all the merits we have acquired now and throughout our journey in samsara. May by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, 
They redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plains made by the power of these merits. They abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us remind ourselves, let us make a resolve that may by the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become a Rahatan Vahanse or an Arahateranin Vahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. The members of the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you now. Raga Sukhita Taravitma Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravitma Mamada Sialu Loka Sialu Satnvayo Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravitma Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravitma Nibbana Parama Sukhayan Sukhita Taravitma Raga Gini Niveva Desha Gini Niveva Moha Gini Niveva Nivansapala Deva Nivan Sapadeva Nivan Sapadeva Tundran Gesu is Yananta Mahaguna Bilin, Siro Loka Siro Satyoma, Nibana Paramasukhain Sukhita Taravitra, Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu.